Welcome back to the Geekcentric Podcast, and welcome back to our watch club for HBO's The Last of Us. Not today, you New World Order jackboot fucks. Welcome back to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for HBO's The Last of Us, episode three, titled Long, Long Time, directed by Peter Hoare. Thanks, uh, as always, to our partners at Crave and HBO uh, for letting us watch this series in advance. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this episode, but not the games. Um, But even still, if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back faster than a fresh, hungry runner. Uh, now, before we fill up our boat with supplies, let me introduce you to my fellow survivalist. He's taller than a bloater, and he's certainly an Ellie Toter. He's Justin the Joel Lovin' Lawrence. Yo, yo, what's going on? Yo, how you doing, man? You prepped? You all prepped up? Yeah, I am prepped and ready to talk about this fantastic episode of the last of us i meant for the world ending that's what i, I was talking about the world ending oh i, I yeah. well for the world ending no i am okay. not prepped i'm not not to the extent <laughs> that bill is prepped i Absolutely. i have to say we will we will talk about it in greater detail but the man it he knows his oh shit my gosh. let me tell you it made yeah. me want to it, it you know we've been getting hints and hints and hints that the world is ending like how many hints does the universe need to give us to get started on doing this stuff before we actually yeah. take it seriously, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm already trying to figure out how I can build a uh, bunker with, yeah. in the basement of the house. That you could I'm build in, so. all those Funko Pops you have in your house. You could build it out of Funko there you Pops. Go. There I'm you sure go. that would last. Indestructible. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, before we dive deeper, I actually wanted to get into a question around prepping. Uh, mm. Justin, this episode, you know, as you mentioned already, we're introduced to Bill uh, and as well as Frank. And we see Bill doing exactly what I said that I would do last week, um, where I said that I would hit up a local... Costco and get a, a variety pack of beef jerky um, but uh, but in this episode he hits up a Home Depot but you know I mentioned um, you know I would grab as much as I possibly could uh, Justin with this show being based on a video game I wanted to ask you a qu- um, you know a kind of a, a, a <coughs> an end of the world question but with a video game twist okay you're allowed one game system with you into the bunker during the apocalypse which one are you bringing and why and we can assume that you can download, buy, or at this point steal any game from Walmart uh, as as much as you can uh, before the internet explodes. Ooh. So we don't have we don't have internet uh, to play. If you're thinking like a multiplayer situation, that doesn't right. unfortunately exist anymore. But we'll we'll be able to get as many games as we want. You could get every game for the platform up until now. Uh, what what do you, what uh, what system and what uh, you know what are you kind of what are you looking to play in the bunker? That's a tough question. I'm yeah. I'm not a huge gamer, uh, as big as you are. I know you'll probably have endless amounts of answers for this one. <laughs> um, there was two two things that came to mind. First would probably be obviously my PS5 if it's current, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, I would probably take that uh, and try to download as many games as humanly possible before the end of the world. Yeah. But I, I also really enjoy those compact um, retro consoles, like the SNES. Oh, like the minis. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And and actually, like, you can, if you know what you're doing, you can hack them and put on a whole bunch of emulations, which there you go. we don't we don't support. But what are you talking It's about? the end of the world, let me tell you. I will I will <laughs> hack that shit and put as many games as I can on there. Yeah. And that would be my video game console, the thing that I would do in the bunker to yeah. distract me from what's going on outside of the world, maybe some some games cuz those those things you could put, you know, a lot of old retro games so on you're, them. you're doing are you doing NES or SNES? I'd probably do I, well. I'd probably do the SNES because I, I always love the controllers yeah. better. Um, uh, so yeah, I would go with that one. And okay. I'd probably I have two wireless controllers, so thank God. Even in the bunker, <laughs> I'll be able to uh, live a wireless life. Of, there you go. Of no cables, just charging when I need to. Um, but yeah, I think I think that would probably be the one I would go for, just because if I do game like in that in that sort of vein of of survivalist mentality it probably would be retro games that i would want to uh play so i could remember nostalgically what was sure absolutely and i mean you're you're getting those high score you know sort of arcade style games right so you can yeah. you can kind of always be like well can i get better can i get better uh yeah. until you're the best in at least your world um for me i think you know the back catalog of playstation is fantastic microsoft fantastic but i'm i'm actually going to go with the nintendo switch i think the amount mm. of fantastic indie games on there you've also got uh super smash bros which i think is honestly for me it's an evergreen game like i i think i could play that game forever and like till the day i die and still s- sort of see new things in that game discover new things about the game um but there's one genre of game that I've never been able to get into, and I think the reason I can't get into it is because of time. But in the bunker, I'm going to have all the time in the world, uh, and that's that's RPGs. You know, like, I, I sure, playing, you know, any Pokemon games available at the time, I, I you know, that would be fun. But I think I'd want to try to dive into, like, Fire Emblem right or or even even final fantasy like some of the like sort of just those rpgs that are just very mm. um you know time consuming that i'll just have all the well, time have all the, the time world. in the world so it makes right? sense yeah exactly <laughs> and then justin if i do somehow make a friend uh boom split split up the joy cons two controllers ready go. to go playing multiplayer in yep. the bunker um so yep. that's probably that's probably the system of choice that i would I would take with me into the apocalypse. But listen, before we we find the love of our life in a hole that we made, uh, that fills a hole in our heart, <laughs> let's get into this week's wow. <laughs> episode. Uh, so we kick off this week with no cold open this time, uh, and instead right into the title sequence. Then we catch up with Joel and Ellie, who are 10 miles west of Boston. Joel is stacking rocks by a river, which uh, is used for uh, finding their way back. But you also have to imagine that's probably his way of saying goodbye and, and burying uh, Tess uh, because, unfortunately, he wasn't able to get to the, the body, right? Exactly. So yeah. then we see Ellie telling him not to blame her for something that isn't her fault, uh, and the two of mm-hmm. them start their five-hour hike to Bill and Frank's. Along the way, they come ac- across a stash location and a gas station called 
Homberland Farms. I love how Ellie says Homberland. <laughs> she like sings it. Um, despite Joel saying uh, that the place has been completely picked over, Ellie finds a broken down Mortal Kombat, uh, a box of tampons, and an infected stuck in some rubble. Uh, as she pulls down the box of tampons, uh, the crushed runner lets out a screech. She approaches it cautiously and slowly takes out her knife. She cuts a one-inch gash above its, uh, its eyebrow, and we see the cordyceps slowly leaking out. And then she pauses for a moment before stabbing it in the head and killing it. So let's talk about this first section, which I guess you could sort of consider this first sort of couple sections as like the cold open to this episode. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Ellie's interaction here with the infected, uh, and why do you think she carved it up before she stabbed it? I think a lot of it had to do with with after seeing Tess sacrifice herself. I think you know she's angry. Um, yeah. Another person that she's forming bonds with lost to this this infection. So I, I think it's definitely out of an anger. She looks at the infect infected people as 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 the reason why her life is the way it is, and I think she's she's very much just taking that out. Also, given the fact that she watched Joel beat the shit out of that security guard, I, I think she's she's letting loose a little bit more and you know leaning into. To this, you know, even just the idea, like how many times she's asked for a gun, um, mm. you know, and, and is looking for a weapon like like I don't think it's just about trying to protect herself. I think it is about trying to prove something to herself and everyone. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I think it's it's that scene was um, it's really interesting because it it's it sort of starts off really scary. Um, it's it's, you know. Again, Bella Ramsey is just fantastic with her reactions in this in this show, uh, and her like just getting scared in that moment I thought was really great. But and I why think- would she go down there? Why? Why would she go down there? Because <laughs> she's Ellie. <laughs> she's gonna do I that. And ah, <laughs> oh, dude, it was, uh, you know, for freaking for freaking tampons. But um, but you know, I think it actually has a lot to do with her conversation with Joel from the last episode, right? Where she asked him, Mm. does he feel bad knowing they used to be people? And so I think on one hand, you're right. I think that moment where she stabs it, that's her rage. That's her, her, her sort of, way of, of coping with the loss of test. She's pissed off. But the part where she carves the eyebrow, I think that's her testing herself to see, do I feel bad about doing this right now? Do I feel bad mm. about this little action that I've just done? And I think the moment she realizes that, no, she doesn't feel bad, that's when she stabs it in the head. Out of oh, okay. I was, right? I, I was wondering too, like she cut it so she could expose it, right. opens up the skin so that the cordyceps... But if she stabbed that thing in the head, that... She's getting to the cordyceps no matter what. Like the the, the skin is True, not that thick on on this infected, right? But but I think to your point True. though, it didn't bleed, right? She cut it. It didn't bleed blood. Um, which oh, every time yeah. I say that, it makes me think of Nelson. You made me bleed my own blood. Um, but no, <laughs> she. You know, it didn't bleed blood. It's not human. She sees right. what's inside of it, and so she understands. Right. No, so she I don't justifies. Feel bad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, shout out to yeah. Mortal Kombat Two, by the way. Uh, yeah. Mylena gets mentioned. Speaking of video games, retro video games, um, and without spoiling anything, it, it reminds me of a moment in the Left Behind DLC uh, for The Last of Us for the game, um, and it's great to see it here as as Mortal Kombat Two and not 
you know, Fighter Instinct X or Tetsumashu Tournament, which as great as those fake fighting game names are, um, you know, it's I thought it was just kind of neat to see our real world, you know, making its way into uh, The Last of Us. It's just another way that this kind of creeps into the real life, right? Like, given the fact that we are talking about a hypothetical infection, Uh, that is brought on and we've now lived through a pandemic like this series just finds new ways to be overly relevant and just timely in in us having us think about our situation well i'm wondering how many people are gonna start you know filling up guzzling gas tanks i know there's a lot of people out there that do prep for the apocalypse but i'm just saying like i'm i'm wondering how many people are that's gonna become become a new popular trend on TikTok. Um, I love the the joke of Ellie going into a room and asking, "Is there anything bad in there?" And they they continue that joke with with uh, Joel just saying, "No, just you." And then Ellie, in perfect timing, just you know, she's like, "Ah, getting funnier." Like like they're just their banter <laughs> back and forth is just really starting to take off. Um, yeah. And I love that. I love that we're we're starting to see that relationship grow. And I also think that Joel is starting to look at her as a bit more of an adult. Like when she says that line, like, don't blame me for a decision that you made. She shouldn't be blamed for it because they made the decision because they needed their batteries. Right. Correct. So yeah. it's not like that it was forced. This happened based on on the events. They knew what they were getting themselves into. And in that moment, like the way he like nods at her, he's like, you know, you're right. Like mm-hmm. it, it's for a moment, you know, he's able to look at her as you know, not just a, a kid, right? He's able right. to recognize the advice that she's that she's giving is actually meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so continuing along their walk, we see them come across a crashed plane. Uh, and I got lost vibes, just going to say it. Uh, and yeah. Ellie asks Joel how the outbreak even started in the first place, saying she bets that it was started by a monkey uh, but Joel lets her know that it was found in food, specifically flour first. Uh, he rec- recounts the exact events leading up to outbreak day. Uh, and then the two of them come across a pile of dead bodies. But Ellie notices they weren't infected. Joel lets her know that Fedra would execute large groups of people uh, if there was no more room in their local QZ, saying dead people can't be infected. So we got the confirmation from last week's opener that that it was tainted flour that started it all. Uh, and in the games, you know, not only did we not really get a, a great answer for how it started, but we also never really got to see, you know, Joel and I think the characters of this world with a, a solid understanding of what happened, or at least they never right. bring it up. Um, what do you yeah. think of this change up and his explanation to Ellie? Well, it makes it matter far more, right? Like, I think, again, we talked about this in last week's episode. In the game, it doesn't matter. They're just infected. It's 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 a it's a play on the zombie, but there's this really meaningful, heartfelt story that, that is carried by, by Joel and Ellie. Yep. And here, that's definitely the anchor. But now with, uh, you know, the medium of, of TV, we can they can add so much depth and dimension and meaning around other elements. And I love that, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit more about as to what happened. I just thought there was a really good trajectory, though, in the first two episodes with these sort of dated lookbacks that that shed a little bit more light like in the first episode yes it's it's a a interview with with uh uh two doctors that kind of sheds more light on what would inevitably be and then in episode two we had that incredible open about that that happens days before outbreak day really kind of kicks off uh Mm -hmm. 20 years prior so here it just felt like a a bit of a, a a step backwards to suddenly just allow joel to 
fill in the blanks so quickly, right? I was hoping we might see a little bit more. I guess at the same time, how would we see it? I think maybe it would be cool if we started to see like doctors that were studying it to unravel the mystery of how this how this infection began, right? Yeah. Um, very much how episode two did. Like Dr. Ibu Ratna at the beginning of episode two, like haunting and, and feel uncomfortable about the beginning of of this infection and i don't know i just thought that there's an opportunity there with these cold opens to kind of look back and, and maybe reveal that story it's like a whole other story that's going on while we're still attached to the main story of joel and ellie and i hope that joel's explanation isn't just the be all end all of it but i guess it does kind of speed things up at the same time sure i mean there's a lot more of this season left, I think they're. I think from all, all you know, it sounds like they're going to be doing another season of the show. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more opportunities for that. I think, though, I think with him telling Ellie, there's a very key moment afterwards where she just thanks him. She says thank you, um, and she's thanking him for not only having to recount that information and tell her, but she's thanking him for just straight up being like. Thank you for informing me, um, which I, I think is really nice. And I, I, I think that was important for for him to give to her. Um, I will say I love the subtle reference to 28 Days Later uh, with yeah. Ellie thinking that it was a monkey that started it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but then we got that really great line delivery from Pedro Pascal where he pauses for a note when he says pancake mix. Pancake mix. Um, yeah. I love I that. I say. thought that was so, so well done. It, it brings us back, right? And I right. think it ties in the fact that that's why they didn't get infected. Like, yeah. They weren't infected. Wow, it's crazy. So if, if, we no didn't, like, if we didn't get last week's cold open and this was all that they gave us to do that, I don't think it would have hit as hard. Um, and I think this was a really great way to sort of give us give us both of those situations, right? If they, you know what I mean? Instead of having to just do one or the other. Um, but dude, the, the idea that Fedra would just kill entire towns worth of people just because dead, the dead can't be infected. I just, that was like but that's, horrifying. That, that's all of the doomsday style Armageddon shows or movies have this sort of sense that the government will become a dictatorship yeah. and control what can be saved and what cannot, because to Joel's point, dead people can't get infected. But I think at the end of the day, this really does make Fedra look like the bad guys and potentially be the ultimate bad guys of of this series outside of just having the infected. But hopefully that'll get explored uh, in more episodes. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but let's talk about the situation of, of that exact moment. Um, you know, we see the dead bodies on the ground uh, when we get a cut back. You know, I love how they do the they show the dress and transition, then they, yeah. they transition back to the woman with the dress. Back to September 30th, 2003, uh, we see an entire street full of people being transported by Fedra as Bill monitors from within his bunker using security cameras around his property. Uh, and he says that line, not today, you new world order jackboot you know f's i don't know how many times we're allowed to say it before we have to put an e on this episode so i'll hold off i guess uh but he cautiously leaves his house to see that all the fedra soldiers uh are gone along with everyone in town so he starts prepping and looting grabbing gasoline wine meat uh you know starting a a chicken farm uh and basically just being the smartest person on this show, I think he he uh, he sits down after a long day's work to enjoy an incredible looking meal. Uh, and we see that his meal entertainment, his TV dinner, 
um, is watching an infected walk through uh, one of his traps and just getting shot to hell. Um, so let's let's pause here. What did you think of our introduction to Bill uh, and his strategy to shelter in place? Well, well, you said it, you know, when you joked about, you know, people that are prepared for the apocalypse. Like, I think that that is 100 percent bill's character there are people out there that are like that that are very in-depth and very meticulous with how they prepare uh i gotta say i admired his attention to detail knowing what he needed to do set up all those traps he basically turned that house in town into a protected fortress and i admire that i love the idea of a bunker underneath the basement because that's just that's so badass and he was literally ready for for anything um, and he's kind of like the guy that I would, I would, I'd probably from first interaction would be a little weary of, but right. obviously as, as the episode goes on, I would be like, all right, he's not bad. He's just, he's just well thought out. Right. Absolutely. He's, he's, you know, he seems sincere. Yeah. He's, he, he's, um, he seems decent. Absolutely. He seems decent and he's, he's very calculated. He has a lot of, um, you know, his tenacity, I guess is, is really strong for, for how much he is preparing here. And I think phenomenal casting with Nick Offerman, such a, yes, a so great good. way to, to get introduced to his character. And I think the way that they changed his character just enough that it still felt like Bill from the game, but in some ways he's more subtle. He's, he's more quiet. <coughs> and then yes. in other yeah. ways, they emphasize his character. They make him larger than life, right? Like you were saying, like he's not just prepping his whole house. He's got his own town. He has an entire yeah. like town, essentially, or at least the street. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I love the montage that we get with him gathering all the you know all the essentials and even the non-essentials, like you know just wine. Like seeing him just like get the wine and 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 like just oh yeah, he he stops. He like stops and catches himself. He's like, yeah, I should probably should probably load up on that. It's, <laughs> it's smart, right? It's, it's incredibly smart. So good. And then yeah, dude, to solve to solve TV entertainment, right? Like there's no TV. You, you know, you'd have to wonder, you know, he probably gets bored of watching the same, uh, you know, movies and uh, DVDs or I guess it would be DVDs. That, I don't know. In 2003, did they have Blu-rays in 2003? Um, you know, whatever. Uh, but seeing seeing that one infected get blasted and he's just chuckling. Right. And he's enjoying some fine wine. I just think I think it was the perfect sort of elevation to his character, uh, mm-hmm. at least while he's alone. It's the perfect introduction to the character because it really does say everything in this sort of sequence with the this is what you need to know about Bill and the kind of character that he is or the kind of person that he is. So, you know, they got that out of the way very quickly. Absolutely. Um, so then we, we cut to four years later, right? Another alarm goes off. This time he's captured someone in one of his holes. Um, the individual claims, you know, to be not infected and we learn that he's from Baltimore uh, trying to get to Boston after losing his group of nine other people. And Bill, you know, trepidatiously allows him onto his property. He tests him uh, and confirms that he's not infected. Uh, And then we learn the man's name is Frank. Um, Frank discovers his, you know, 1948 uh, upright piano uh, and, you know, begins to to play. They've had dinner uh, and Frank sits down and, Starts playing Long, Long Time by Linda Ronstad, uh, which is the name of this episode, by the way. Um, and he, he plays it and, and Bill tells him to stop because um, he's not playing it that well. <laughs> and then he gestures to Bill uh, and, and you know asks, he says, listen, if you play it, I'll leave. 
And Bill sits down and begins to play the song phenomenally. Um, you know, moved by his performance, Frank asks Bill, who was the girl? And Bill says, there is no girl. And then Frank responds with, I know, and proceeds to kiss him. The two embrace and hold each other uh, as they both start to cry until Frank tells Bill to go take a shower. So let's talk about Bill meeting Frank for the first time. What did you think of, of Frank and this, this really powerful attraction that they both discover so quickly? Yeah, I think Frank's lucky. Let me tell you, if, if there's any <laughs> hole that you want to be dropping in, it's, it. it's Bill's hole. <laughs> Absolutely, because <laughs> he's he's gonna he's gonna you know he's got everything. Like I love that you know Frank was like in the shower. He's like, I'm gonna need some more time. This is so great. <laughs> oh my gosh! Right? Like yeah. I, I you know he definitely lucked out, but I think there's a sense of companionship that also plays into this whole situation. There is obviously a attraction of passion that we see play out through this scene. But I also think that their their relationship is rooted in a sense of loss. They have both lost so much. Mm -hmm. And here now, they're able to embrace what is a sense of normality. And maybe they don't have to be alone. Right. Maybe they can be with one another and embrace that. Um, so I, I think this was such a, a, a very romantic, touching, tender moment. But it really does help establish the importance that these two characters relationship will have as we go further into the episode. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, Frank was just a dangling body, right. In a Hawaiian shirt in the game. We just got to see like his legs basically um, mm -hmm. in, in, you know, after he, he hung himself because he found out that he was infected. Um, and so to get to meet him in this show, I think was fantastic. I think Murray Bartlett is so good. Uh, and his American accent you know, a lot of people might not understand that he's he's absolutely Australian. Um, and, you know, you might recognize him as Armand, the hotel manager in White Lotus season one. That's the first time I ever saw him. And then recently he gives an amazing performance again in Welcome to Chippendales, um, which you mm -hmm. definitely should check out if, if, you know, if you enjoy this sort of um, narrative storytelling. But that one is obviously not fiction um, or not as fiction. And then. You know, I just think it was great to see him in this show. Um, one thing I really liked was, did you notice Bill uh, wasn't using the book, right? Like Frank sits down, he opens the book, he starts, he's reading from the pages. But but with with Bill, he's playing and singing from memory. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's 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 intriguing and it's it's sort of, it's really lovely and romantic that Frank serendipitously happened to open up what was probably Bill's favorite Linda Ronstadt song. Uh, and it was one that was of great importance to Bill, especially with the way he plays it and the amount of feeling in that cover. Like, I didn't know Nick Offerman could give such a, I don't know. He can know, sing. Man, uh, he can sing. Yeah. yeah, he can sing and yeah. he, he can play piano in, in you know, in a, a pretty decent way. And I just think, I just wasn't expecting them for, to show Bill's vulnerable side in this series. Um, but again, you get especially, this, yeah. well, you get this side of Bill that, it was there in the games, but we, we didn't have the ability to expand on it. And, and in this, you really do with this relationship. But I, I also wanted to shout out like Bill being so nervous, right? Like we're also not used to seeing that. He can wield a shotgun. Yeah. He fearlessly kicks down his door ready to blast away Fedra or Raiders or whoever. But here we see him nervous and almost giddy, right? And, 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 and just, you know, Nick Offerman is just so, he's pulling this off yeah. so effortlessly. Yeah, he's um, his guard down. So anyways, so they, uh, you know, he goes and takes a shower. They make love. And then after they make love for the first time, we instantly cut 
to three years later in 2010. And I love that that it just goes right from a moment of passion to a moment of, of passion. But they're they're arguing, they're fighting. Yeah. Um, and they're they're arguing about the look of the house and the surrounding property because Frank wants to make new friends. Bill absolutely rebukes this, saying that they'll never have friends because there are no friends to be had. And Frank walks away telling Bill he's been take he's been talking to a nice woman on the radio. And Bill gets pissed um we 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 cut to uh, i love when he says when he's like i got i got han solo yelling ben vibes when he goes you what (laughs) like it's so loud i was like oh my gosh um you can feel it um so yeah so he says he was talking to a woman on the radio bill's pissed and then we cut to a lovely outdoor lunch with none other than joel and tess uh, mm-hmm. During the meal, Joel aligns with Bill about how cautious he is. Uh, Joel ref- refers to himself and Tess as decent people uh, and that they can bring books, medicine, and machine parts, all these things that, that Bill doesn't have. Uh, and as they leave, Joel warns Bill about the Raiders, but Bill says they'll be fine. So lovely seeing Tess here again after last week's episode. Yeah. We thought she was gone. Uh, Anna Torv mm-hmm. was out of this show. What did you think about this lunch date? Again, another great little background builder to seeing the relationship, seeing how they're starting to build a, uh, you know, a trafficking system. That, you know, and and Frank wants to have friends. Like he wants. I think what he's what he's hoping that they could achieve is a place that that people can seek refuge, mm-hmm. right? And and they could start building somewhat of a society that is, you know, not run by Fedra. As much as I love seeing Tess and and. You know, understanding that this is how this character can still continue to live on through the series is in these flashback moments, but also just to see how Joel, you know, finds a sense of um, alignment with Bill. And, you know, we kind of see how that kinship begins between the two of them. Oh, I love when he like the line delivery when he says, you know, we can help each other and get that gun out of my face. Gun out of my oh, face. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. good. Um, I love how Frank and Bill bicker, like how you would, you know, how like you might with your partner uh, telling you to put your phone away, right? Like, put your phone yeah. away, but for Bill, it's, it's his gun. <laughs> put your gun away. Like, Can you just put it away? Like, so good. Um, <laughs> and then I, I like how we sort of hear uh, Frank coming up with the radio code in the background. Um, it's kind of like, sort of like, cut away from it to go to, to Bill and Joel, but um, we hear him talking about how, you know, the 80s means danger. And, um, and I, I think, you know, I think Bill is acting this way um, because he's, he's worked so hard for all of this and, yeah. and he doesn't want anyone to be taking it away from him. He doesn't want anybody to make his life with Frank lesser, doesn't want to make Frank's life lesser. Um, and I also think like, okay, and this is the power of this writing team. You know, we, I, I know that it's 2010 in this moment. And I know that in modern times, Tess and Joel mentioned how, you, you know, they aren't good people right to Ellie they they they've done terrible things they say right um so here I am falling in love with Bill and Frank and I'm so happy for everything they've achieved and I was actually like a little scared for a moment that Joel and Tess were gonna in some way mess this up for them or harm them in some way which I know is silly because in 2023 Joel tells uh, or sorry Tess tells Joel to get Ellie to them so obviously they're friends but something in me still felt like a little bit of uncomfort in that moment, just seeing them in their space. And I could really, I could really feel like an ounce of what Bill was feeling oh, bringing was. strangers into life. Did you feel that as well? I felt uneasy when Frank stepped in. 
Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> sure. You know, I, I, I well, because it, it's like Bill did such a great job building up this fortress and protecting himself. Now he's extended that yeah. generosity and incorporated Frank. And now Frank, by extension, now wants to extend the generosity and what they have here yeah. to others. And I think that that's just uneasy. It's not for him to share. And I'm totally with Bill. I, I don't know if I would mm-hmm. really trust anyone because he hates he hates the world. Exactly. He doesn't think there's good people. out Exactly. There. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And I I mean, obviously, we'll get to that moment uh, a little bit later of of that realization uh, that there actually is. Um, But listen, we cut to 2013, uh, three years later from that, where we see Bill never took Joel up on his offer uh, where he was like, I can get you some, you know, sheet metal or whatever. Instead, he just covers his fence with a pile of broken down cars, which I guess is an easier way uh, to go about this. Um, But uh, but after, you know, after a run, Frank surprises Bill with a strawberry garden that he managed to plant after acquiring seeds from Joel and Tess in exchange for a gun. Uh, And I love that little moment. It's a little gun, don't worry. Um, And the two laugh and they enjoy some freshly picked strawberries and Bill apologizes to Frank for getting older faster than him, saying, I was never afraid before you showed up. So then we cut to that night and we see a large group of raiders approaching the property as, uh, as as they approach, they're incinerated, they're electrocuted, uh, by the traps surrounding the fence. And Frank rushes outside to see that, of course, Bill is already, you know, taking action, taking out the Raiders with a sniper rifle. Uh, and Frank calls out to him as he as he gets shot in the abdomen. Um, so Bill gets shot in the abdomen. Bill lays down on a table and Frank starts mending his gunshot wound. Uh, and Bill tells Frank to call Joel um, saying that, you know, you can't be on your own uh, in all of this. Uh, and then we fade to black. So let's talk about these moments here, starting mm-hmm. with the strawberries and then Bill's epic traps working perfectly to keep those raiders out. Well, the moment with the strawberries was absolutely beautiful and really does summarize the series and show uh, in a way of, of what we've already been talking about, the relationship between fear and love. Mm-hmm. You know, when Bill says that, you know, I had nothing to fear until you showed up in my life. Like, it's such a beautiful sentiment. And I think a sentiment that everyone can relate to. Like, he was such a solidary solo person and had nothing to worry about until Frank stepped into his life. And I think that's just incredibly relatable. Uh, we all have people in our lives that we love. And, and I can relate now just having a kid. Like, yeah. I don't want anything bad to happen to her. And yeah, I think that that this was such a sincere, beautiful moment that very much summarizes the entire episode but man the watching these booby traps let me tell you man like it is great to see them in all their glory just burning up people and really just highlights bill you ain't got nothing to worry about man (laughs) like you got shot because frank was a dumbass and ran out there (laughs) and he distracted you and i think again this was another way to elevate one of the best aspects about the character of bill right it was it was you know he's he's already out there of course and you got to imagine, too, he's probably got pre-alarms that go off before the other alarms, right? So there's probably different uh, markers yes. around his perimeter. And you have to imagine like he, he would get alarmed earlier so that if he can just go out and handle it before Frank, like he, yeah. that's something he would have set up. Well, right? that's why he's that's why he was in the streets already. Correct. Well, and it's it's, you know, speaking of him being um, alarmed. I think it's funny because at first I was thinking, how the heck would Frank be able to keep Bill from noticing a freaking strawberry garden? And I think the reason is because at this point, they've gotten to a place where they trust each other 
equally. You know, three years prior Mm -hmm. to this moment, Bill wouldn't even give Frank paint or gasoline. And now it seems like Frank is at the very least taking care of the gardens, which I think shows that Bill has eased up a bit and he trusts Frank because he loves him. Um, And I think that's really lovely. I think that was such an interesting way to tell the audience that mm-hmm. that there that Bill has eased up without having to show yeah. Bill being like you know what you can handle the gardens or something like that like they can just sort of show us through storytelling and I think it's just one of the most amazing aspects to the writing of the show is 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 how much they show us and it's again we talked about it we talk about it pretty much every week at this point but it's how video games tell us stories as well right in 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 mm-hmm. sort of the same way so um and then hearing him talk like he's going to die um you know, telling Frank to contact Joel, it's it's interesting that, you know, again, he didn't take up the sheet metal offer from Joel, but obviously they he stayed, still stayed in, touch, in communication, right? They stayed yeah. in touch. They became good enough friends that he would he didn't trust the rest of Frank's life with Joel like that. That that actually means something uh, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And for, for Joel to be kind of the first person, I guess the only person that could come to his mind, because I don't know how many more, you know, if they would have tried to make any more friends or, or what have you. But Mm-hmm. Um, so then we do a big time jump 10 years later to 2023, where we see both of them are elderly, but, uh, and this was kind of a, a really interesting switch up here because you see Bill dying essentially, but it's Frank who's in a chair, unable to walk. Uh, and we get, we get the sense that yes, he is dying. Uh, and they go about their day, they go to bed. Uh, and then we see Bill wake up to the sight of Frank in his chair, which, you know, took him all night to get into on his own, but he does so because he wants to celebrate what he says is his last day. Uh, they sit in the living room and we learn that Frank is dying of probably cancer. Um, there's that, that one-off line that he sort of has of like, they couldn't have fixed this prior to the outbreak and mm-hmm. they, they can't fix it now. Um, and he says that he's made up his mind. Frank tells him that he's, he's had more good days with Bill than anyone else. So he asks him for one more good day. He asks Bill to marry him uh, and then have him crush a bag of pills into his drink. Uh, They'll go to bed and Frank will fall asleep in his arms. Uh, And so they do exactly that, except instead of just crushing up the pills into Frank's drink, Bill also sneaks the pills into his drink as well. And they both head to bed and die in each other's arms. So probably one of the most heartbreaking and beautiful moments I've ever seen of like this kind of death on screen. Uh, what did you think of, of Bill and Frank's final days? It was, uh, it was emotional. Yeah. It was impactful. Um, especially given again, like I said, the trajectory of this episode, the way it started and where we ended up were two different things. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciated the story with, with Bill and, and Frank and building it out with these flashbacks to see how their relationship, as you said, like it blossomed. Do you know what I mean? It started off with Bill being alone and, you know, easing up with, with the introduction of Frank and, and, and naturally letting his guard down and becoming more vulnerable and, and, and basically professing his love for Frank in that moment in the strawberry garden. We got to see and spend so much of this like personal time with these characters that come here and, and see them, you know, come to an end. It's it it's it's a touching moment. Yeah. Um, the thing that I think threw me off though was how I, I didn't catch where Bill put it in his drink too. Yeah, I mean, it would have been in the kitchen, right? It, he he didn't put it in his drink necessarily. He put it in the wine bottle, 
right? And he says, he says, you know, Frank has that really, like, <laughs> something that you would never want to answer if you were doing this for your partner of, is that will it be enough, right? And, yeah. and he says, enough to kill a horse. Uh, yeah. And in the bottle, specifically, is enough to kill yeah. a horse. Um, oh. Right? So that's, that's okay. he, right. they both drank okay. it down. Um, okay. But I thought it was, you know, they got married in front of the piano, and I was like, they're in front of the piano and I started tearing up right like that's the moment mm -hmm. they fell in love that's the place they fell in love right there um which mm -hmm. I know is easy because that's like you know that's their house but at the same time I just right. thought it was but it's it was beautiful. it's the moment it's the moment that said everything that Changed. they wanted to say without having to actually say yeah. anything right like like you said like it was just a very intimate passionate moment that was was personal for them so yeah it makes sense that the piano was there and then it's, it's their it's their witness right and, and then another <laughs> another yeah there you go another method of, of storytelling though by showing um with the painting of of bill right we see mm -hmm. it's so disheartening but you see it become more and more difficult for him to paint and you see from left to right the painting is getting messier and messier and yes. you have to imagine that that the, the 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 switch between him feeling good enough to paint and then feeling you know like not even being able to paint um, must have been so quickly right because I'm sure those paintings don't take him uh, an ex you know exorbitant amount of time so you have to imagine he would have started and then gotten to that well, place talented. rather quickly right um, absolutely yeah. and you see the paintings around the house and I love the contrast of of bill the first time they share a meal and the last time they share a meal right like where the first time he comes through the door and they're both like jumping back <laughs> and I think bill is like super freaked out and and they're sitting on complete opposite sides of the table and then here it's it's calm it's warm um and bill is sitting right there with frank and for this man that seemingly had everything in a world full of terrible people he 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 still didn't have a purpose until Frank and I love that line. Yeah. Right. You were my purpose, and and he says I'm I'm satisfied and oh my gosh I just I was tearing up. The music in this sequence, Gustavo, absolutely giving me Jacino vibes with the strings. Right. Like I mentioned Lost earlier with the plane, um, but I was just like the way that the strings go into the minor key. Right. The moment the meal is over and they you know in your head and they know. They have to get to the pills. They go into that minor key. And then just the way that they actually even just stop the music completely, as great as mm -hmm. it is, just to give us that final exchange between Bill and Frank. I just it lets you focus on the performances, which, again, these actors are just outstanding. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. again, for Murray Bartlett, I would expect for Nick Offerman. I've not seen some of his more serious work. I know he's done it before. Um, and there was a show, I can't remember what it's called, write in if you know what it is, it's about developers, um, that he did, apparently he's phenomenal in it, but, um, but yeah, dude, and then the way they walk down the hallway together and just off to bed, and then the scene keeps the same focal length, right, where it just stays blurred, and I don't know, I, it was beautiful, mm -hmm. no, absolutely I, beautiful. Yeah, no, I yeah. totally agree, I think it was... It's absolutely stunning. The cinematography was great. The writing was great. The performances were great. I think this is going to be one of the best episodes of the series. So, uh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we get to the final chapter of the episode where Joel and Ellie have arrived um, at Bill and Frank's place. And they learn that they're both, they're both dead as Ellie finds a letter addressed to Joel dated August 29th, 2023. Um, she begins 
to read it until she she gets to Tess's name. Uh, and then Joel continues and shudders as he walks outside to complete what is essentially his morning of Tess. Bill leaves them all of his weapons and equipment, uh, and this includes a truck that after a quick char- charge of its battery, uh, a couple showers, um, and then Ellie finding and then abruptly stowing what was Frank's gun. Um, you know this because she got it from the exact same spot. Um, Joel and Ellie head off to Wyoming to, to find Tommy, who might be able to connect them with the fireflies there. Ellie finds a tape as they uh, drive off into the sunset, and they listen to Long, Long Time by Linda Ronstad. Uh, and the song continues to play as we pan backwards into Bill and Frank's house through an open window as the breeze moves the drapes, and we see a charcoal painting of Bill uh, to the left of the window. And that's the end of the episode. So Joel and Ellie uh, have a truck. Ellie has her own gun. Uh, and they both learn of, of Bill and Frank's death. Justin, what did you think of the end of this episode? And uh, why didn't they just stay there? Why do you think they didn't just stick around? I, I don't know. Like, I guess, like, at the end of the day, it's it, it would it would defeat the purpose of this series, right? <laughs> the end. Uh, I think logically, <laughs> yeah, the forever. end. They, they lived happily ever after. <laughs> they just never went into that room. Because I love that uh, Bill writes in the letter, just, I locked, I kept the door closed and uh, uh, the window open to, to let out the, <laughs> the, the, smell. the air. Yeah. Uh, which, I, again, that's the window that we're watching the car, the truck drive away from. Yeah, is, is, is the there, bedroom window. Is that bedroom window which is is haunting in itself i was i was kind of it was kind of eerie but again um, another sort of callback to the start screen that we've mentioned from yes, sarah's room in the first yes, episode right this uh, absolutely the window ledge again plays plays a, a huge part um as we now continue the journey with with joel and ellie and she now has a gun which is incredibly interesting because she's been wanting one so badly but um, I feel like that's going to go bad for her. That's a lesson to be learned for her. So, but the, now that she has a weapon that is is concealed, uh, Joel doesn't know that she has it. It'll be interesting to see how it's going to show up. You know, when when is that going to make its appearance? Um, but yeah, I probably would have stayed. As I well. would have stuck I around. Probably. Yeah, I would have stuck around. Yeah, broke sure. out the. I'd have been like, damn, yeah. this guy's got a sweet setup. Break gonna, out the, the gonna... SNES Mini. You and I would have just started playing some <laughs> video games, dude. Um, but I think the reason that they, the only thing I can think of is Tommy. The longer they take to get to Tommy, the more chance that he's no longer alive, right? So I think, especially yeah. after expecting to see Bill and Frank, yeah, you answered and your own question. Them, you know, being gone. I think. <laughs> well, sure, but I think I think he's he's not the kind of guy to stop anywhere for a long time. Right. Especially now that he's out of the boss. Got to keep moving QZ. And, and then I love the line that Ellie reads where she just says, anyone else would have been blown up or electrocuted by one of my traps. (laughs) Like the way she reads the laughter is so good. Um, And I, I think the, you know, the, the note, right. One person, one person uh, who's worth saving uh, and Bill not knowing Ellie, he's obviously saying this for Joel's test, but the series is going to replace that message for Joel, exactly. for Ellie. Um, and him walking out of the house, I think, also creates this moment of Joel realizing that he can't just leave his past behind him. Right. He's going to continue to be reminded of Tess. He's literally got a reminder of Sarah on his on his wrist constantly. Um, and then, you know, anyone else that he's lost. So I think that's why when he comes back into the house and he gets so mad at Ellie for bringing up Tess again, right? Like, we can just keep our histories to ourselves. I think, I think that's him trying to suppress that understanding, but it, he, it's, it's, it's beating him over the head of, like, you're never going to let go 
of these things. They're going to consistently remind you. And I think, again, the series is is going to... We're going to see Joel transform from the history being something that he's running away from and trying to actively not think about to something that motivates him, to something that keeps him going, um, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think, though, both of these characters have unresolved trauma, Yeah, right? And we know, again, not spoiling anything for the games, but we know potentially of the story that they're going to tell with Ellie. Yeah, And with that in mind, I think it's it's important to consider how... Even though that they're, you know, they're different ages, I think they're going to have a lot more in common, and the show's going to point that out from from different perspectives and different vantages of what loss looks like and and what this whole surviving and saving who you can save really means to them, and you know why they're in this to stay alive. Again, the show's doing such a great job adapting parts of the video game, but expanding it to enrich the characters so that it's not just a game you really layer in feelings and emotional connections that we can we can have with them and that that just it's a good sign of writing well and i think when it comes to playing these characters i think in a way it helps people or at least myself to connect with them even more but i think to your point i think the show has the ability to still get us to that place of connecting with them almost on the same level because right. it's able to kind of give us that extra but also shout out to Ellie's red shirt. I'm stoked that she, that's where yeah, she found finally. it. Yeah, finally. She's got, she got it. got the yeah. red shirt and uh, and she loves space, right? She she loves space. Um, without spoiling anything, there is a, a fantastic, you know, moment in, uh, in, in one of the games about space uh, that brings a tear to my eye every time I think about it. And this is just a great moment opposite to the, the, the plane moment, right, where we sort of see how these things that we take for granted, Ellie has never had the chance to experience before. So it's all new to her, right? And I think that's one of those interesting sort of ways that they sort of, um, it's a little bookend, but it kind of is a bookend, right? Of her talking to Joel and, and Joel understanding like, no, like even though it cost uh, $12 for a sandwich on the plane or whatever he says, it was still a miracle, it was still a phenomenal freedom that he got to experience, right? Even though driving around in a, a, a dusty up old truck is not necessarily the best experience for Ellie. It's fantastic. It's so oh, yeah. cool. She was, yeah, she was blown away <laughs> yeah. by that experience. I love when he's like, put your seatbelt on. And she's like, what? the hell are you talking about <laughs> he had to like reach over and buckle her in so just goes to show she is she hasn't experienced much yeah and i think you know i think the parallels that this this episode draws between uh, ellie and and joel um and and bill and frank in the sense of joel is someone that hates the world uh at this point he's he's he doesn't want anything to do with ellie initially and in this episode, at the beginning of this episode, we start to see her sort of growing on him. Um, and Ellie, at the same time, she's she sort of has a lot of hate inside of her as well. And I think the way that they sort of show us that at the beginning of this episode and then take us through this journey with Bill and Frank and then take us back to sort of the resolution of that, I actually did find that it in the end, that did sort of work for me. Whereas like, you know, instead of sort of putting the Bill and Frank stuff right at the top of the episode and then cutting to or putting the first section of this episode in the previous episode, or what have you. Right. Like, I think it was it was actually uh, a little better done than I initially thought. 
Um, but let's get, you know, let's get to our rating of this episode, um, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five strawberries. With your last sentiments there about like just the sort of structure, I, th- I think that was the problem that I had with this episode mm-hmm. because everything else was flawless. You know, again, the way they wrote Bill's story and his relationship with Frank, the way they told this emotional, very heartfelt story about love and loss. And as we were talking about love and fear and the relationship that the two have and seeing Bill, the survivalist, become this gentle, caring man who was always there, uh, but that was very much opened up with his relationship with Frank. I think that's just such a an amazing story. And I agree with you. I, I like the idea of how Joel and Ellie's journey to Bill's place is the starting point for this episode. I just don't know if that first part at the gas station was really needed. If anything, I know it might've taken away from Tess's sacrifice, but I probably would have put that gas station portion at the end of last week's episode to really cement the anger that Ellie has. And I would have started this one with them on their journey to Bill okay. and Frank's place. Because that entire part of the episode where they're walking and, and they're talking and we learn more about how the infection spread mm-hmm. you know they they talk about uh fedra we get this idea that they're a, you know a political force that's running as a dictatorship just killing innocent people right uh, it's all very relevant but i do think that that opening sequence at the gas station i think it was supposed to matter more i just don't know if i really understood what it was meant to say because it felt so tacked on at the beginning of this episode sure but I do think that this episode is really well written. We have outstanding performances from Nick Offerman Mm -hmm. and Marie Bartlett. And I do believe that this is going to go down as one of the best episodes of of the series. And I think it's going to be talked about for a very long time. So I'm going to give this one a 4.5 out of 5 strawberries. Yeah, I think this is not at all what I expected, um, but in the best way possible. Like, I think... I think it was such a, a beautiful way to take the Bill character and expand on him, his love for Frank, um, without sacrificing what made his character great in the in the game, only emphasizing it in, in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so sad. It, it was so lovely to see them go throughout their years together and, and, and grow closer uh, while also living in this world that is dying around them. Right. And, and, and they get to sort of grow and flourish while everything else is just gone um, and, and starting to just completely, you know, incinerate itself. Um, and again, Nick Offerman, Murray Bartlett, just <sighs> unbelievable. Like these are performances that I'm like, let's get them awards. Like, let's please. Can we somehow find a way? I don't know how to do it. They'll probably get nominated. Please. They'll probably get nominated. Um, I want to watch more serious stuff with Nick Offerman now. Um, he was unbelievably good. And the music was outstanding. Um, I cried, obviously, as I mentioned. I mean, obviously, I cried. Uh, overall, I think this was, yet again, another awesome way that the show is giving the fans more of what they want to see. And, and you know, they still had that badass Bill moment with his traps, but then... Obviously, you know, more time together with Frank and he's he's actually a character in this. Um, this episode takes its time. And I feel like I feel like that's to give us as much time to see their their love and their relationship grow. But I think for some people, they might find it a bit too long. Um, and mm. and I agree with you from a sense of pacing, not not necessarily for how this episode was structured, but where this episode was placed in the season landed. I could yeah. be wrong. Right. Mm. But like, I think. Like, this is more of a bottleneck episode that should have been placed, maybe not in the three spot, but in, like, the five or six spot. After the halfway. Right? After the halfway halfway point. Maybe put it as an episode seven or what have you. But at the same time, 
if they are following the trajectory of the game, I as a as a fan of wanting to see as much of this story as possible before the season wraps up, I'm also kind of very okay that they did this earlier on, or at least that, that we got Frank uh, or that we got Bill um, this early on. But I, I we'll have to wait until the end of this season to see if that sentiment reigns true, right? Because by the end of it, I could be eating my words, and I hope I am. Um, but I think you know heartbreaking outstanding performances beautiful writing beautifully shot um and there's moments in this that won't leave my my mind uh for a long long time uh and it's it's up there probably with one of my favorite on-screen love stories that I've ever witnessed uh which is Black Mirror's San Junipero um I just think it's just I don't know it, it it's it's beautiful it's so beautiful the way they do this um so I'm going to give this episode a solid 4.5 out of 5 strawberries. Uh, I don't think it's my favorite episode of the series. I think I think my favorite episode of the series still has to have Joel and Ellie in it um, because this is ultimately their story. And I, 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 I did find that the first episode just was so phenomenal in how it adapted the game. Um, and, and gave a really good balance of both the game and this new... these sort of new concepts. Um, I just thought that was like something I've never seen that before. Um, and that was something that I, I said in that episode moves, you know, the idea of adapting a video game forward. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, 4.5 4. Yeah, out of 5 strawberries for this one. Yeah, the, and I think, you know, the point that you make about where this episode lands as number three, that that is that is so true because considering how episode two really feels like a kickstart to their adventure. And then we come to episode three, which is a bottleneck episode yeah. that focuses on Bill and Frank. Um, it kind of feels like a, a start stop. Yes. But again, I don't, don't get me wrong. I, I do really enjoy this episode and, and what it gave us. It's just, it could have been better maybe after the halfway mark. Um, but like you said, maybe in, in relation to the game, it's, it's situated at the proper point of the story. So, so we can, we can see that part. Right. Um, I am interested to see, you know what people think about the runtime and, and how they if they enjoy it because uh, it is a longer episode like you said it, it is a bit of a, a slower burn but these performances are so outstanding and this writing is so good it's just people are really gonna be talking about this episode i think it's going to be interesting to see the conversation from people who haven't played the games right i think it's mm -hmm. going to be interesting to see um what did they think of this episode and then not only that but then you've got your sort of hardcore last of us fans and then your casual fans who did play the game, but maybe they weren't as enamored by the nuances within the story, right? And now they're 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 seeing those nuances explored further, and maybe maybe because they didn't catch those in the game the first time, it might not necessarily work as well for them. Um, but damn, it worked for me. It worked for you. Um, so I don't care about those new world order jackboot fucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I did it again. We might get an E rating. I'm so sorry, uh, podcast app of your choice. But that is it for this week's Watch Club for HBO's The Last of Us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or your predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, well, let me just use you know one of many of Bill's alarm systems to notify Justin so he can let you know how you can reach us outside of your QZ. Well, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to us on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram 
at WeAreGeekCentric. Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest in movies and TV shows and games, uh, including our recent uh, Geek Back episode. We took a look back at 2022. Um, and also, we have our uh, most recent spoiler-free review for Season 1 of Shrinking on Apple TV+, Plus, uh, which is right up alongside this show, I think, so far as my favorite show of the year. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's we've only just gotten I, started. I very much agree. It's so good. Yes. It's so good. Go listen to that um, that uh, that review and then definitely go watch the show. Uh, and we have we have an interview out right now with uh, Luke Tenney, who plays Sean on Shrinking. Justin sat down with him to chat about his similarities with his character, as well as what it's like to work alongside Harrison Ford, uh, Han Solo himself. Um, you can catch that interview here on podcast services, but then you can also see our lovely faces on a, a ton of other interviews that we do, both on YouTube and on our TikTok channel. Uh, we're TikTokers now uh, over at We Are Geek Centric on TikTok. We have some really great stuff planned for 2023, including more interviews, more reviews, more convention coverage, more watch clubs. Uh, we have another watch club going on right now. If you're into Star Wars, The Bad Batch, every Wednesday we're dropping those episodes. So there's a lot going on. Subscribe here. Subscribe to us on YouTube, TikTok, all the social medias so you can keep up with the great stuff we got coming at you. Justin. Thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say, when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. <laughs>